this is lovely to see you all here today. Today we're going to look at, as soon as I can work out how to turn this on, you have lots of you on off and, oh, it's because I'm on the upside down. Today we're going to look at Jesus teaching on prayer. Now this is a really important topic and it's so important that Tim's asked me to do it in the morning and Kate to do it tonight so that you can get two different opinions from God on his perspective of prayer. So I really want to encourage everyone here, come back tonight, listen to Kate's view on prayer as well. She's looking at the same passage. And I think that'll be really edifying for everybody to get those two different perspectives from God based on our life experiences and what we're doing. Now, before we dive into this prayer, um, while I was putting this sermon together, for those of you who haven't done one, God really touches your heart. And he took me on a journey that was very unexpected. So as we go through this sermon, I just ask you to hold with me because it's not going to go the normal way you would expect a sermon to go. So on that note, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus teaching on prayer, looking at the Lord's Prayer. What do we all crave? In the world, we all crave somebody to love us. We all crave that picture of why am I here? What is the purpose in my life? Why did God put me here? Some of us go looking for this in love. Some of us go dating. We look to find someone to love and love us in return. We look for that feeling to last now and forever into the future. Some of us look for attention. We're loud, we're extroverts, or we're just really extreme and odd. Some of us have great charisma, like movie stars and politicians and singers, and we're able to draw people in. And they look at us and we feel that wonderful sense. Well, I don't because I can't sing. But they certainly do. Some people like Donald Trump just seem to draw all the attention and then wear the pity flag and get away with it. It's just amazing. Perhaps in your life, however, you have a crazy Uncle Bob or Aunt Bertha who are larger than life and every time they come over, everyone just swamps on them. And they seem to get all the attention. And you sit there and go, this is very strange. Why do I feel this way? Well, this is not a new thing. If you look back to the Old Testament, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they craved a fawning glory. They looked for people to look at them. Jesus called them hypocrites because they presented an image of godliness yet sought the desire of men. And in doing so, they led other people away from their true purpose, which is the worship of God. And they missed the simple point of life, which is to love God and to love others. Do you know people who feel this way today? Do you remember feeling this way before Jesus burst in and set you free? I still feel this way sometimes. When I look to the world for affirmation and I take my eyes off Jesus, I feel this way. I go looking for love in all the wrong places. But before we dive into the Lord's Prayer, we've looked at our perspective. We really need to look at his perspective. Jesus is the one who's teaching us this prayer. Jesus is God. So what is his perspective and why is he teaching us this prayer in the first place? In order to understand that, we need to go right back to the beginning. 
In the beginning, it all starts with God, as everything needs to. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And Colossians 1.15 and 16. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So what's this picture give us? We have the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, in perfect relationship, in perfect love, in perfect harmony. And at the beginning, they want to share this love. So what do they do? Well, they create us. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God creates Adam and Eve to be in relationship with each other and relationship with him. God is the one who imprinted this deep desire for love on us. But he is the only one who can fill it. This is the way we are created. So what was life like in the Garden of Eden? We get a picture of this in Genesis 3, 8 and 9. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and the Lord called to the man. So the way it was originally designed in Genesis 1-1 is that God the Father, Son and Spirit are with mankind, talking with them, doing life with them, experiencing life with them, being in total communion, community, common unity together, family, relationship. That's the way God designed it to be. This is what Jesus is hinting at through the Lord's Prayer. He's reflecting on the way God's created us, the desires that he's put in our heart, and how life was supposed to be. Before Jesus actually moves into the prayer, he also goes through some heart motivation checklists. He gives us two do's and two don'ts in parallel to say this is how you need to come to God in prayer. This is how you check where your heart is. And we start with a don't. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now the Jews in biblical times paid three times a day. They went to the synagogue and kneeling in prayer. Now you could get noticed in this synagogue. If you happen to stand up, people might actually see you. If you prayed out loud, they might notice you. You might get a wink, a nod, a wave, who knows, maybe an amen brother. And you've got a reward. But in doing so, it's a fleeting reward. You've lost your connection with the Father. And not only have you lost your connection with the Father, you've taken other people's connection with the Father away and directed them to you. Jesus is saying the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the religious leaders are trying to take glory now. Their heart motivation is not looking to God for where to get their relationship. It's for looking to others. So this first part of the prelude, Jesus is really saying God wants an inner, deep, personal, growing relationship with you and with me. This is why he created us in the first place. This is why that desire is in our heart. So what do we do? But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. 
and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. No distractions in the place of prayer. If you're in a relationship with anybody, whether it's husband, wife, kids, or you're in a unit, and you're trying to talk to someone, and they're on their phone, or they're watching TV, or they've got noise-cancelling headphones on, they might be there, but they're not really there. You know, they're not really paying you any attention. I see smiles. When you get away with someone, even on a date, you're alone with one other person. The two of you form a bond, and that's when your hearts start touching. That's when you start forming that deep, personal relationship. And this is what Jesus is saying. Get alone with your Father in heaven. Our Father becomes our true connection here. That's what he's saying. God wants to be your true connection. He wants that one-on-one relationship with you. He wants to invest in you. He wants to be the only one for you. And he's not like an earthly father. My daughter's here and she can tell you I have made horrendous mistakes as a father. The fact that she's still sane is a miracle. But as fathers, we all make mistakes. Your father made a mistake for you. Lots of them probably. They may have been incredibly painful. They may have scarred you deeply. Or they may have just been surface mistakes. But Jesus is saying, this is not your father in heaven. He is perfect. His ways are perfect. His ways are just. He loves you exactly as you are right now. But he also loves you far too much to leave you there. He wants to take you to that place where he can see you can become everything you want to be. And he does this in harmony. He created us to be in blessed unity with himself. Harmony. So Jesus starts by saying, God wants a deep personal relationship with you and he wants it in harmony. He's got your best at heart. So next, don't. When you come to pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. If any of you have had kids or been to the shopping centre, you will have seen kids go, mum, 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 anything to get that attention. When they don't get it, they throw hysterics and temper tantrums and all sorts of things, and I know adults who do that as well, which is a bit sad. But this is what we look back to. This is the desire that God's placed in us, and they're looking for it in the wrong place. And we see this again in ancient biblical times. 1 Kings 18. Elijah and the prophets of Baal are on Mount Carmel and they're having a showdown. And the prophets of Baal, they're singing, they're dancing, they're yelling and Elijah's taunting them. Perhaps your God's in the toilet, perhaps he's gone out to lunch, perhaps he's just not interested. And then they start cutting themselves and throwing themselves all around. Why? Because in pagan times, your little G God, first thing you had to do was get his attention. And the next thing you had to do was then barter with him really fast. If you do this for me, I'll do that for you. That's not the type of God Jesus is saying we've got. This is not a pagan God. What type of God do we have? Do. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus already knows everything we need. Well, that's great, Murray. That doesn't help me. So why do I have to pray? The key is, The key is because he gave us free will. He asks us to come to him. And when we come to him in free will, we're both acknowledging that he is God and that everything comes from him. We are giving him the glory that he deserves.
Dallas Willard says, Prayer to the God of Israel and Jesus, the living personal God of the universe, is intelligent conversation about matters of mutual concern. It's not just a relationship. It's the entire relationship. It's not just talking. It's transforming. God transforms us. And God is sitting there with his arms open wide as our Abba, saying, come to me. Please come to me. I am here. I am waiting. I long for you individually. I planned you before the world was created. Won't you come back to me? Please. Look at Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I will enter in and eat with him and he with me. Doesn't that blow your mind? The creator of the universe from Genesis 1.1 is waiting now and forever simply for us to come to him. He is an amazing God. And on that basis... Jesus launches into the Lord's Prayer. Here is the foundation stone. God wants you. God planned you. God loves you. God has a relationship with you. He wants you to grow. It's all about love. It's all about relationship. And Jesus starts with, pray like this then. Those words tell us that this is not a rote prayer. We don't have to repeat it word for word. And we know this because Jesus himself prayed in other ways. This prayer is a beautiful formula for how to talk to God. And we're going to break it down in a minute. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This prayer has two parts of three requests. The first one is all about him. Everything starts with God. His name be glorified. His will be done. His kingdom come. The second part is a prayer for us. Our daily bread, forgive us our sins so we can forgive others. And holiness, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It mingles the eternity with every day and echoes Matthew 6.23. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God is saying, I will look after you now but keep your eyes on the prize. Run the race, keep your focus on me. So let's break this down. The prayer for eternity starts with our Father. God is where we always start, from right back in Genesis 1, run right through to Revelation. Our Father. This tells us that we are his adopted children. Our Father tells us that he loves us. Our Father tells us we can come to him perfectly, in total confidence that he is there for us and wants what's best for us. Father, cause your name to be honoured in the world, but also in my heart. I want to run into your hug of love, as we looked at earlier, in humble adoration, because my Father is here. But this is the same Father who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's behind me, he's before me, he sits on the throne of grace, he deserves all glory, and he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is who we can come to. This is who has opened his door for and heart for us. This is who created us and wants relationship with us. God in heaven. So heaven, where is heaven? Heaven is not an address. Heaven is who he is. Heaven is who God is and God is everywhere. So one commentator put it like this. 
Our Father, who is as close to us as the air we breathe. God is surrounding us. God is powering us. God holds the universe together. He is right here in this room with us. He walks with us day by day, you and I, wherever we go, we cannot be separated from him. This is who the creator of the universe is. We can come joyfully and humbly in total dependence on him because he is God. The second part, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Allow your kingdom to hold sway in the world and in our heart, in our heart as well. Your will be done on earth and in my heart. So what does this mean? Every single time we pray for healing, every time we pray for change in someone's heart, every time we pray for a law change, every time we pray for rain on a drought-stricken country, we are praying for heaven to come into the world now. This prayer is a reflection back to Genesis 1-1 in the perfect Garden of Eden and forward to the eternity that we look forward to and we're asking God to bring some of that into our reality today. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's more than that. In praying this, we're also praying for every single person we know who doesn't love him, doesn't know him, to come into his kingdom. Our desire is to see our loved ones saved. That's growing his kingdom. Our desire is to see this place go out into the community and fulfil Jesus' words. Love the widows, the orphans, the poor. Help the powerless. That is taking his kingdom. We're praying towards the eventual ending of sin and suffering and Jesus' triumphant return. Keep your eyes on the prize. Remember that you have a relationship with the Father and share it with others. That's how his kingdom is going to come. What about the prayer for every day, physical and spiritual? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The physical, please Lord, give me what I need today in life so that I can be healthy in mind and spirit to serve you, but so that I can also share it with others. I come before you each day, Father, because I acknowledge that you alone are God. You are the only one who can supply all my needs and I am in total dependence on you. But also my spiritual side. Forgive me my sin as I need to forgive others. Grace. I have sinned. Jesus has washed away my sin, Father. And I come before you in total thanks and adoration. You have forgiven me this much. My brother may have slighted me this much and I need to forgive them. Help me do that, Father. And as I do that, I learn in this little bit so much more about your enormous grace. You're sharing it with me so I can share it with others. I am free when he forgives me and I am set free when I forgive others. Holiness is the second part and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Holiness is something we sometimes overlook in life. Quite often we look at the things we bring into our heart and we wonder why we're angry or frustrated. Look at the movies we watch. Look at the books we read. What you plant in here is what grows out. Lead me not into temptation, Lord. Keep me on the narrow path. Keep me in the spotlight of your will. Help me to walk in holiness. I'm going to make mistakes, Father. I'm going to muck up, but help me because I want to be your good and faithful servant. I want to be the way you want me to be 
Help me not to muck up. Keep me from sin. Keep temptation away from me. Help me be more like you. And in doing so, I am more able to serve you and shine your light to the world. Help me and deliver me needs to be the deep, gut-wrenching cry of our heart. If we really want to be like Jesus, then we need to look at our own holiness and our choices in what we do day by day. And Jesus is saying here, ask God to help you, and he will. And when we get to the point of holiness and we're on the ground asking Jesus, holiness loops back around to grace again. Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Hard words, but they're throughout Scripture. Let's take a quick look at Matthew 18, the story of the wicked servant. For those of you who don't know it, there is a king in a country, and a servant comes before him who owes him a great deal of money, and he cannot repay it, so he falls on his knees before the king and says, Please forgive my mammoth debt. The king says, I will forgive you. Go in peace. The servant walks straight outside and he sees another servant who owes him a pittance. And he abuses this servant and throws him into jail until he can repay. And in biblical times, you didn't earn money in jail, so that was a life sentence. And the king hears about it. He calls that first servant back in and says, You wicked servant, I forgave you this much and you couldn't forgive that you will go to jail instead. Isn't that a picture of grace? God has forgiven us this much. Our brother or sister may have done this much against us and God will help us forgive them. And he is saying, I've already forgiven it. Why can't you? He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Those last words are very key. This is not a superficial forgiveness. This is a deep heart forgiveness the same way that Jesus has done for us. Colossians 3 echoes it again. It says, put on a new self. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Share his grace. Every time we ask him to help us forgive another, we're understanding a little bit more about him, a little bit more about his grace, and becoming just a little bit more of the person that he wants us to be. How can we possibly come before him in prayer and say, forgive me, Father, when I am not doing what he has instructed me to do and forgive another? Help me, Father. Help me do the things that I cannot do on my own. Is it hard? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. Will he help us? Absolutely. He is God and he can do anything. So we'll have a look at some great quotes. First from Kenneth Callahan, life begins with grace. We are who we are through the grace of God. Everything in this universe and beyond begins with the grace of God. We are alive through the grace of God. It's all about grace. Until we really understand grace and we remember what it was like when we were first converted and first had that absolute blown away experience of Jesus flushing our heart, we can't reach the people who don't understand what it's like to be with him. It's all about grace. As he's forgiven us, we forgive others. Dallas Willard says, He, Jesus, teaches us how to be in prayer what we are in life and how to be in life what we are in prayer. This is quite an interesting quote. What Dallas is saying is that 
you take your life before Jesus, when you pray, you lift up what's happening in your life. And when God speaks back down to you, it transforms you and it goes back out. Be in prayer what you are in life. Offer up everything to him, but allow him to transform you on the way back through. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I cannot help myself. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Prayer is transforming. Matthew Henry says, you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. Have you ever tried to hold your breath? Prayer for a Christian is as natural as talking to someone else. You look back to Genesis, verse 3, we looked at, God walked and talked with man. That's what we're heading back to in eternity. That's what it was like in Genesis 1.1. God is there waiting. Matthew Henry also says, Thus all our prayers should correspond to that which is our great aim as Christians, and that is to be with God in heaven. We keep our eyes on the prize. And we know that Jesus himself went away to pray quietly in Luke, Mark and Matthew. So what are Jesus really saying and teaching us about the Lord's prayer? He's calling us to prayer. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. That is a call to prayer and it's also an echo of the Lord's prayer. Philippians 4.6 Do not be anxious, take all your requests to God. Is a call to prayer. It's an echo of the Lord's prayer. It's that formula again. Jesus is calling us to relationship. He planted that desire in us at creation He's the only one who can fill it and he's calling us back to that relationship. Deep, honest, clear communication, speaking and listening, deep heart touch. That is where heaven breaks in. That's where God changes our hearts. That is where God can work through us to help us become all that he wants us to be. By focusing on the eternal and handing over the everyday, I can serve God to my maximum potential. So what does this say? Christians are people of prayer. Jesus is calling us to the ministry of prayer. Effective prayer always leads to worship and ministry. Prayer is the basis of our practical love for others. We can't do it without him. Prayer is the foundation of our entire ministry. Prayer is the centre of our growing relationship with our Father. God loves prayer because he loves us and prayer enriches us. Satan hates prayer because he hates us and prayer enriches us. Jesus is encouraging each of us to commit to a richer prayer life. Pray frequently. Pray humbly, pray honestly and personally in relationship. Live in the spirit of the Lord's prayer. That's what he's calling us to. As we go out today, the question we each need to ask ourselves is, what is hindering us from this deep, personal, loving relationship with Jesus? He's given us the framework. He's told us that God wants us. What's stopping us? from starting prayer in the right heart attitude using the vision that Jesus is giving us. I encourage each and every one of you to pray.